All right, another episode coming in to your headphones or through your car speakers. Get ready for this one. I have been waiting to have Dr. Andrea DiNardo on the podcast since the very beginning, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to have her sitting down across from me face-to-face. She's a former psychologist and currently a psychology professor at St. Clair, and she loves to help her students, and she loves to help people of any age. Let's do this. I'm so excited. Here she is, Dr. Andrea DiNardo. Please listen carefully. All right, well, welcome to the Lemonsville Studios. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Long time coming. I'm claiming my prize. Guys, that is like a perfect intro. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here sitting across the table from Dr. Andrea DiNardo. We have been friends um, over social media now for a little while, and she is just a rock star. And this is kind of a, like a little bit of a surreal mo- surreal moment. <laughs> Times <laughs> two down. goes both ways. Yes. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, so we want to start out. I want to know who inspires you. What inspires you? Excellent question. By the way, I love your questions. I love your podcast. I've been listening, and thank I've been you, following you. your work. And what inspires me? You inspire me, Sierra. Oh, Young people inspire me. Where do I see my most influence? I see myself as an encourager Mm -hmm. and as a connector. So I love to see young people going through what is a normal developmental process, which is hitting the ground and Mm -hmm. then getting back up and hitting the ground and getting back up. So a combination of young people inspire me and the underdog. And the young person, you know, like your teens, especially your 20s and your early 30s are built for suffering. Mm -hmm. And you can't escape that suffering. And uh, one of my biggest inspirations is my sister. When she was 19, she's alive. (laughs) When she was 19, she had a brain aneurysm and she was a varsity athlete at Western in London. She's two years older than me. And she was in, in Florida for spring break. And she had a headache and it was very localized. And my sister's name's Noelle, and she will sing every Christmas song known to <laughs> out there. She's no, and I know Noelle's listening. And I and everything I write, everything I teach, everything I do is like a love note to her. Oh, you're and she was adopted when uh, she was six months old, and she almost didn't get adopted by our family because she originally went to a, a home in Toronto. And my parents tried for years to have kids. And uh, they couldn't. And then my sister was adopted. And six months later, and the first family, so she always says they owe everything to her, which, like, as I say, I, de- I dedicate things to her. So uh, so she always says if it weren't for her that we, I wouldn't have been born and my brother wouldn't have been born. And the first family, she cried the whole time. And then my, when my parents, when she was 18, they opened up the document to find out, you know, all of this. So when my sister was 19, one of her strengths was that she was an athlete. She was a hockey player back in the time that it was very rare for women to play Mm -hmm. hockey. I played hockey. She played hockey. We were the only girls on an all-boys team. Sidebar, great way to meet guys. (laughs) (laughs) And so she was played for the Western Phillies, and she was traveling, and she was down in Florida, and she had an aneurysm. And somebody on the team said, we got to take you to the hospital. And thank God, because then she went into a coma for six days. And just per chance, and this is a PSA to everybody out there, her friends encouraged her to get insurance before she went down. They paid for it, covered my parents to fly down. It covered um, their hotel and the, do- the 
the brain surgeon there said I basically I was zero for five. So on her particular aneurysm, that they couldn't operate. So they wanted that he it just it was not a good chance. So they flew her back, air ambulance, everything. My parents up to University Hospital in London. I was in grade. Uh, 11 or 12 at the time and I was on March break flew back it was brain surgery for 12 hours she was awake through the whole thing and uh, she survived it and they said because she'd been an athlete at the time and she had an incredible um, stamina but when she woke up she couldn't speak because it was in, it was a part of her brain related to speech and slowly she worked her way back and then she ended up going to St. Clair for pharmacy tech but it, it was really rough for her and she's had more problems since then but my point is my sister who's had absolutely everything imaginable against her and that's just a little bit about it she has the most incredible fighting spirit and she's a survivor and she is like in our family there are i'm one of four doctors and she is champions all of us so when i say who inspires me noel you inspire me that is an incredible story yeah. and that's not something that i have heard you talk no, about i haven't actually no yeah that is a crazy yeah. ride and it, it and it's beautiful i love the way you said yeah. that everything that you write everything you do everything you teach is a love letter to her tell me more about her resilience because that is and like you said right. that's only a little bit of the story right yeah and well and that's the other thing is like you can only say so much in a, a podcast exactly and that, that, that essentially uh, what i'll say about her story is that she continues to live independently can uh, she's on a very li limited income because mm -hmm. she, for a period of time she worked as a porter in the hospital once she graduated worked in pharmacy tech but she had another stroke later on and so she had to be on disability mm -hmm. and but within that she lives within her means she gets up every day with a smile she does she's one of the most generous kindest funniest best dancers she'll <laughs> ever meet and there's nobody in the world it's interesting because it lays into all the rest of this because I focus and I and I for so many reasons I focus on what's right but she's somebody that I can be 100 percent myself with mm -hmm. like you said because I it's important for me to be strong for my students because I, that's how I see my a role yep. and so when we talk about other things that there are many 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 things that didn't work out for me including we, we were never able to have kids so that's another reason that mm. everything goes into my students and my sister is somebody that is just gets me uh, one of the reasons I transitioned into teaching and and the thing about being a psychologist it's very rare and I, I talk to my nursing students about this that you're going to stay in a helping profession 40 50 hours a week for more than five ten years because if you're an empathetic person if you're a caring person mm -hmm. and you know this just from your personal yep. life yep <laughs> there are two kinds of people and i'm going to be very like black and white here yeah. but there's the givers and the takers mm -hmm. and so that if you're a giver in even in a profession like psychology you're not you can't turn that off right so that when people come to you when you're on your off hours so they're still with you. Right. Yeah, that, and you can't help there. but help. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's also we're socialized that way. So I that I had been teaching at a young age to pay my way through graduate school. And I was also my research was on teacher enthusiasm and student motivation, engagement and connection. But I never wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to be a traditional psychologist. Right. 
But my sister <laughs> used to sit in my classes at Western. I had 500 students at a time. Okay. And she would bring like five of her friends in and she would always say like, you should be teaching. Mm -hmm. And then after I'd see my, uh, other people, they'd say, Andrew, you have this glow about you. And so, but I still resisted it because I always thought of psychology as one-on-one -on -one, and mm -hmm. my backgrounds as a school psychologist. I knew it was always about education. I knew it was always about young people. But one of my failures, mm -hmm. one of many, mm -hmm. when I moved to Windsor, it, however you want to perceive it, I was on a one-year contract for the Catholic board and the contract was only for one year, so mm -hmm. it wasn't renewed. And so I was flipping through the newspaper, and so this was back in 2003. I was flipping through the newspaper, and there was an advertising for a social science psychology professor at St. Clair. But having never been in the college system, I only thought it was the trades. Okay. So uh, I applied for it. First time I ever got the, the job in the interview. And uh, I started, and I loved it. Oh, my God, did I love it. But I was on contract, so it's like, one-third of what I would normally make. Mm -hmm. And six weeks later, the school board asked me back. And my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, is an accountant. Okay. You know, he crunched the numbers. Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, John, hello, John, mm -hmm. I will do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. I will write textbooks. I will teach session at the university. I will give speeches. I will keep my private practice and, rem and so I continue yeah. private okay. practice for 17 years okay everything there was so that I could teach because mm -hmm. there's your passion Absolutely. and I didn't know it yeah and you didn't even know it <laughs> and it got this. so that's why when I talk about championing your what you would call societal's failure yeah because it wasn't the first time I've been laid off from a job that everything in my life 99.9 percent .9 of what's good in my life is has come here through the door of pain yeah. Right. And that's the testament of right. being a lemon soul. That's what yeah, we're doing yes, here right now, yes. which brought you to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's that's how I went from psychology, from being a psychologist oh, full time. Yeah. But I kept a practice until 2016 because after 16 years, the teaching gig was working out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Naturally. So, so now I want to continue to spread the yeah. love. Yeah, of course. In in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And they all really fuel me, but sort of I would say my intention now is how many people can I, if I have an hour in a day, mm -hmm. what's the way that I can reach as many people as possible? Awesome. Yeah. So what would you say is one of the main ways you like to motivate your students? I mean, you're dealing with the youth. Yeah. You're dealing with kids that some of them are probably not paying attention. Some of them are really gung-ho, especially in this day and age with mental health. It's very prominent. Um, a lot of us are dealing with anxiety and depression issues, other other disorders on top of that. Like, what is your go-to? Like, how do you start a semester with a group of new kids? I would say in one word, connection. Connection, I want to make them feel like there's nowhere else to be, nowhere else to be but with me. Mm -hmm. And that they're the most important person in the room, whether there's 500 people in there, that when I walk in, mm -hmm. I'm excited, it's authentic. I tell them it's the best time of my day. And they always look at me and think, what are you doing the rest of the day? Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're fully in the moment, there's nowhere else. So yeah. for my three-hour class, there are no phones. Yeah. Not even, I don't even want to see it on your desk. So I talk about it like a date, yep. you know? <laughs> and I also, in the in the lesson in there, if you're out on the on a date and somebody doesn't want, if someone puts your phone there, it's all about them. It's mm -hmm. all about me. It's all about that moment. Yep. yep. So connection. Well, and I feel like I can get this energy from you where you're very present in 
all of the other parts of your life. I'm sitting here looking at you and feel you very present here right now with me. And I feel like what you're teaching your students is something that you also live on a day-to-day basis. My students are my teachers. They're philosophers. They're, oh, they're amazing. And they ask me these questions that that forced me to go deeper. And last semester, one of my students said, how do you stay positive and hopeful with your patients when they're sharing such dark things? Mm -hmm. And in my early career, I wasn't good at it. Mm -hmm. And I definitely experienced a form of compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, where I didn't, I thought I was supposed to save them, you know, that I was meant to have the answers. And over time, what I realized that if I had them for the hour, Mm If I could make that hour like nothing else I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And for them, a lot of them are traumatized by authority figures. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be very relatable. I wanted them to know that I noticed. Mm -hmm. So when I meet somebody, I research about them. You know, I remember things. I notice things. And sometimes people are taken back because they don't (laughs) expect it. And I have this memory. I'm going to remember everything because it just, it works for me too. Mm -hmm. So back to how do I work with the population when they're so at risk, I am not there to fix. I'm not there to solve. And this applies not just to me as a psychologist, this applies to you, Sierra, and everybody that's listening that is that giver, that fixer. Because a very wise soul named Carolyn Mace, who's one of my mentors, she's a seven-time New York Times bestselling author, because I have to go somewhere to get, you know, inspiration. Obviously, I've gone to many of her retreats, and I asked her this question, too. You know, this is sort of a sidebar. I have people will, that will come over for a dinner party and want to tell me their problems. Yeah. And the instinct in me is to be the giver. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, Andrea, you have to relate to them that the problem will not be solved in the course of this dinner party. Mm -hmm. The result of it will be the dinner party will be ruined. So that that brings it back full circle to the givers in in your audience and back to me, because it's everything we all talk about is for ourselves Mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. Is that we, we, we should all strive to have the best possible experience in that moment and in that mo- and and I small too yeah. right i mean a cup of coffee hello yep. <laughs> some spa music yep. some lemon water yep. but when we're in the moment there is no problem yeah there's no problem yeah someone was asking me um how do you they were going through a scenario where they were constantly being bombarded with um someone in their life who they truly care about and they want to help but it's it's burying them into oh, deep emotions yes. and the piece of advice it that triggers gave, them probably right exactly and and that's not healthy for anyone for either <sighs> side because if you aren't the best version of yourself the advice you may be giving might not be what they need you can still care about someone you can still give them advice you can still love them but not be invested yeah. and not put like your entire being into someone else's because we're um, talking position. about boundaries now. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it was like about setting boundaries. Right, that was right. something that we had talked about. And and it's interesting. Excellent advice. Fantastic. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and what we're talking about sounds so, I, I'll use the word trite, because mm-hmm. we expect these complex solutions to complex problems, but mm-hmm. we're just seeing the surface of something. What's underneath is the eight-year-old and all of us that just want to be held. Right. We want our parents to pay attention to us. So we recreate these situations over, all over the time. Mm-hmm. So we're either saving ourselves yeah. or mm-hmm. having ourselves be saved. Right. 
right. this whole this whole circle around it. So the solutions are all they're simple. Yep. On repeat. On repeat. Simple Practiced. things on repeat yeah. save the world. So yep. if you just every morning, and this is what my husband and I do, we set our intention mm-hmm. with coffee spa every morning at 5:45. Until 7:15, we light candles, we light incense, we have coffee, we have arrow roots, yeah. arrow roots. What are arrow roots? <laughs> like arrow cookies, like baby cookies. Oh, <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh! I buy those for we eat them here at work. <laughs> yeah, they're the best. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's something to look forward to. And mm-hmm. when I've been in these audiences as a keynote speaker with young people, one of their problems is not being able to get up in the morning. That they watch Netflix all night. And my advice to them was schedule your next Netflix for 6:30 in the morning. And you have something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Ooh, that's the, smart. The idea is something to look forward to. Yeah. And then it's simple. Yeah. And it's simple. And I think it's also important to note, which is something that I do often is to say, like, here's something to practice. Here's something to repeat oh, yes. time and time again. Yeah, yeah. But it, don't expect it to be perfect. No, either. no. Back to that. Forgiving whole... yourself for that. And what is being perfect? a human? And what's yeah, perfect? Exactly. Compared to what? Exactly. Compared it's to what? My least favorite word in the English dictionary. I know. And I know. Coming it's from it... someone who used to be like, I'm a be prideful in saying I'm a perfectionist. And now I'm like, despise. I know. <laughs> despise that definition. But I want to go back because I watched um, your TED Talk. Oh, great. And thriving under pressure. Talk to me a little bit about why did you choose um, to go go that route? And how has the feedback been? Okay, thank you for asking. I started a blog in 2015 and for students called Thriving Under Pressure. And I, I started that blog because I found over time, because I'd have on average 500 students a year, and then all of the students I meet through speaking engagements, that I was getting the same questions. Mm-hmm. And what were those types of questions? So the questions were related to failure, related to self-esteem, related to perfectionism, as you say, uh, motivation, inspiration, focus, mental health, all similar questions just wrapped up a lot differently. Mm -hmm. And I found for me, because we talk so much about mental health, but the mental health of psychologists, the mental health of professors, the Mm -hmm. mental health of nurses, the mental health of doctors. And one of the reasons that you see teachers and doctors and nurses eventually become like robots where they are just so detached mm-hmm. is that's a coping mechanism. And so I needed an outlet. So one of my one of my outlets was writing. And so I just started my blog, right? So that was November 2015. And now I've had over 90,000 hits on my blog. And Congratulations. I have almost, thank you. And I have almost 4,000 followers. Amazing. And then from my blog became, I was invited by uh, the Drive magazine mm-hmm. to be a columnist and okay. have my own column uh, for the Psych Drive. And this will be my, they're all coming. I did the first one was a feature and then one lean into loneliness about embracing negative emotions. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my blog. And then also this latest one that comes out today is on failure. So back to thriving under pressure. Very therapeutic. I have 300 posts there, but I have 5,800 comments. So that's where the, the magic happens. Like I could go in there, right. and that I think that was one of the more difficult things for me with transitioning into magazine writing, because I've, mm-hmm. I've been interviewed by magazines. I have three textbooks, all that kind of stuff. But the, I love the idea of blogging and everything else, and you know this yourself. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very interactive. Yes, the communication, right? Communication so back involved. to the connection and stuff. Yeah, like that. exactly. So there was an opportunity for TED, TEDx University of Windsor a couple of years ago, but I pulled out right before the application. I was busy or something, and then TEDx, the theme last year was diamonds from pressure. Perfect. 
like kismet, right? Yeah. So then I put my application in, and it was an incredible experience. So I was able to translate my blog into a TEDx, and who doesn't love TEDx? Everyone loves TEDx. <laughs> Come to my classroom, exactly, in 12. I had to, it's interesting because it's a generational thing. Yeah. Because okay. anybody over about the age of 50, they don't they don't really know it. Right, But right. Th- they've all been educated now. <laughs> and so then I had an opportunity to take every, th- every philosophy that I've been learning as a psychologist, professor, and human being for 20-plus years professionally and somehow get into a 12-minute speech. Right, 12 minutes. Oh, my gosh. And I had an incredible team, the TEDx University, which is separate from TEDx Windsor, Mm -hmm. it's the university team, and an incredible speakers coach named Zainab. And we worked together and worked together and worked together and worked together. And what's interesting, when you end up at the TEDx stage, Mm -hmm. because you have no notes. Right. Just the red circle rug. Right. (laughs) And it, it's and they've seen me. Do you practice? I practice at Tim Hortons. Like wherever I go, I give my TEDx speech. Okay, leading up to it, and I started at twenty eight minutes because it's got to get, to get down to twelve minutes. And every time I get gave it because you go with the best. My advice, if you ever mm-hmm. do such a thing, which you should, maybe but one day you will, <laughs> given your background, communications and film and all that kind of stuff, is that you go by idea. Mm-hmm. Not word. Never okay. memorize. Because anybody who tried to memorize it, they faltered. Just like right. obviously a, a certain amount of ad lib when you're in with your films, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when I stepped on, and I was the first speaker. so <sighs> Pressure. Thriving under pressure. <laughs> right, though. exactly. Back that thriving under pressure. So when I stepped onto the red carpet like this, mm-hmm. it was like angels came in. It was so surreal. It was so, it was like it was channeled. It was channeled. I mean, I, you don't even remember it until it's done. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. do you even remember? And of that audience, <laughs> if you have 100 maximum because TEDx okay. rules, 25 of them were my students. Aww. So they were either past students, present students, or future students. And you hear I talk about nurses, too, in there. Mm-hmm. Because th- what I loved about that opportunity in terms of thriving under pressure is that in some ways we're lying to young people. Because we're presenting a two-hour feature film on Instagram. We're, we're presenting a two-hour feature film on Twitter, mm-hmm. on Snapchat. When, in fact, you know that it takes 12 months, 24 months to make a film, that there are all these steps behind it. Mm-hmm. And so when I say we're lying, it's that there's a Mack truck coming for them, and it's called life. Mm-hmm. And if they have been protected and bubble wrapped in any way because the parent it hurts the parents to see their children fail and we don't let them fall when the stakes are low mistakes when the stakes are low Mm -hmm. that when they get to the point that they do fail Mm -hmm. they're shattered yeah so what i want to be able to do in my thriving under pressure work and also in the classroom and writing and all of that is hold this really safe place for them Mm -hmm. and not to stop them from falling right i celebrate falling yep but give them the strength to get back up. Right. right. And that's like your upcoming article in, in Drive is called uh, fe- Fail- Feedback fail- feedback as Failure. Yeah. Failure is Feedback. Failure is Feedback. So, I knew I was going to No, it's okay. Away. It's okay. I could also, you could also call it, is it possible to see failure in a positive light? Right. And so I would never, ever, ever eliminate failure. Mm-hmm. 
Failure is how we figure out who we are. Right. That if you want to think about, like, even the way our brain's set up, mm-hmm. we're born with more neurons than we'll ever use. And at about the age of two, there's a pruning system. And if we don't use those neurons, they fall away. We're born ready to speak every language that you can't tell the cooing baby from Africa from the cooing baby from China. Right. But over time, the it's pruned away. Okay. So similar to life, failure allows you to figure out your diamond. So that's why at the end of my Thriving Under Pressure, when I use the three C's, challenge, control, and commitment, mm-hmm. and all we're, I am awesome at two, terrible at one, most likely you're <laughs> awesome at two, terrible at one. Okay. I have an idea what your probably challenge is over the three, is that if we don't have the failure to chisel away what's not our destiny, then we'll live a life of bland mm-hmm. monotone and all of that. So back to full circle, anxiety and depression. We also have to tease away how much of it is a coping lifestyle issue and how much of it is a psychological disorder because there's a major difference. Right. So often when I'm working with clients, I will put them on a four-week four program, do all, all these small things that we've talked about, mm-hmm. and then see me on the fifth week. Well, by the fifth week, a lot of people don't need the help because they can do it themselves. Okay. And not to take away from the others. Yeah. Well, my qu- my next question is about a, a continuing the conversation on failures. I grew up um, with parents that ran several small businesses. They failed a lot. Um, and coming up, um, growing up around that, I think anyone kind of goes, oh, yeah, mom and dad. Right, right, right. Yeah, you did all that. And, like, put earmuffs on. And my dad was constantly telling me, and I didn't really realize this until I reflected back in doing stuff like this, um, was my dad was constantly, I'd be like, dad, I, ha- I want to do this or I want to try this, but I'm I'm not going to do it because I'm worried about what someone else is going to think. And my dad was always like, who cares? Like, yes. why do you care so much? Yes. He's like, go fail. Do you think we're fine. socialized to care? Is this a problem? <laughs> no, you're, you have great parents. I mean, the fact that they're both entrepreneurs, this business is incredible. Yes. And that they... I'm surrounded by two beautiful, wonderful humans. Yeah. Dad's probably not listening because he's anti-tech. anti, anti, anti tech. No, I'm the youngest of three. Okay. Yeah, I have two older brothers. I, I'm the baby of, of the group. Um, but, yeah, like I was saying, my he had always said that to me. My dad was always telling me, and my mom as well, go try things, go do it. And lo and behold, I did eventually, but it took so much time to realize that I didn't have to be scared of disappointing someone else or disappointing society or myself and that it was actually an opportunity to get better at either that thing or the next thing and that's also daily too right yeah right 100 percent in everything <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in work in this podcast in friendships in relationships there's it failures it a inevitable and it's around us 24 7 but why are we so scared of it I th- are we just are we just taught that I think it is socialized. Yeah. I, I really think it's a socialization yeah. thing because one of the, one of the other questions mm-hmm. was around about this generation and yes. the heightened mental health yes. and all of that, that back in the day, we were only meant to be exposed to 150 people in the course of a lifetime. And I don't know if you've heard that stat before. So now you wake up and you're constantly bombarded. Mm-hmm. So if you, you, I'm sure if you found, if you put your phone down for four, for four days, mm-hmm. you're actually living one life. Right. But once we have our phone, we're living two lives. So we're living simulated realities. Mm-hmm. And 
there's always this push to say push the good or post the good stuff, post the bad stuff. But mm-hmm. I really think a lot of it has to do with that FOMO anxiety, right? Because you're seeing it all the time, more right. than ever. Yeah, you never get an escape from it. So you have to make a, that's part, that will become a new habit that you have right. to do. Right. That you have to not have your phone in your bedroom. That right. you have to make a conscious effort for that to happen. But equally, parents have to take a responsibility because Sierra, you've lived in a world without a phone. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know the difference. Yes. You consciously know the difference. When you're in it, mm-hmm. you don't because it's like the matrix. Right. But you can step away from it. But the young, it'll be interesting to see because these kids don't know the difference. Right. They're coming. born into it. That's It is what it is. It's there. It's always been there. There's never been a world without it. We're in, I was in a generation. We grew up when the Internet became a thing. So, you know, we grew up, you know, they, you know, people say this all the time. We grew up playing outside and doing yada, yada, yada. And kids these days don't do that. Well, some of them still do, which, yeah. you know, let's not yeah, of course. say all the bad things about the gen- about yeah. the youth because, you know, yeah. there are still kids that, that – cousins of mine that are younger, they – I have I love to have conversations with them about that type of stuff because I'm like, you know, what do you – like, what do you guys actually do? Because you, you see what society and what the internet and what society wants to tell you about young kids and they're only on their phones 24-7. And, and he's like – cousins – younger cousins of mine, he's in grade – nine and she's in grade seven and they're like actually like kind of a lot of our friends don't really want to be on their phones anymore they realize they're realizing it so i think the cycle is it's turning but it is you never really know what what will happen and it all depends what part of canada you're in too right right? and and it's important as you say not to to generalize because yeah. I'll ask similar questions of my students mm-hmm. and not the phone habits vary from person to person. Right. right. And in terms of comparison, all of that stuff, I think it's often when we get stuck in our own head, it's mm-hmm. so important. You know this, you practice this all the time. You got to get it in your body. Yep. Because yep. we, this is just random neurological impulses. Yeah. Yeah. That's something else I w- wanted to talk to you about was the idea of how do we train our brain? And I have talked a lot about this on my social media, just about you have to make like, it's like a muscle, your brain is a muscle. And this will be even more interesting for you as a, you know, from a science perspective, (laughs) you know, how does that actually work? If you could take kind of the ball f- from from that idea that I'm rambling here. Now. No, this is really good. <laughs> I, I just want to remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Speaking of which, your attention span does go down when you're on, on your phone too much. Myself included, I'm equally in, enthralled by it. <laughs> if you've seen my Instagram stories, that number one, you, you raise awareness about it. And you realize and reflect on how incredible our mind is. And on the drive here, I was thinking about how do you handle when things seem out of control, you go equally go small and equally go big. So you either go into the universe and look at the stars mm-hmm. or look inside your body and, uh, you, you know, it, online or whatever to have an idea of what your brain looks like. And one thing I know for sure, one of the reasons that positive psychology is so important, I'll relate it back to uh, neurology, Number one, for me personally, that it's a relatively new field and it's really saved me personally in terms of my own mental health Mm -hmm. with being a psychologist. Because when I first started working, all and I was before I came to Windsor, I was a head psychologist for a really big school board and I was 28. Wow. And I was expected to solve all the problems. And I was too young to know. You know, I thought, you know, I have my PhD, I have my two Mm -hmm. years license, all that kind of stuff. 
And every everything started with a problem and everything ended with a problem. Yeah. And they didn't know any different, right? Because they're so overwhelmed by the kids in the classroom mm-hmm. and it affected the other kids, et cetera. So as I discovered positive psychology in, uh, say, early 2000, I realized I could have a new framework for going in mm-hmm. and really validate it. My mom's also a psychologist. So <laughs> I was raised by a psychologist. Yep. My dad's a lawyer. So I, I, when I was young, my dad said, whatever you do, you could find a job where you get paid to talk. So, <laughs> so and here that, we are. <laughs> yes, exactly. So positive yeah. psychology underscores, and there's, um, there's science behind it. It's not just positive thinking and Pollyanna, that if we spend too much time being in that negative, mm-hmm. that we will reinforce the victim neural network Mm -hmm. and when something happens will instantly go to fight or flight right in terms of the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system so my take is in terms of negative emotion back to neurology and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is i honor your pain i have pain Mm -hmm. we all have pain Mm -hmm. but we can't spend if we have an hour together the entire hour revisiting Mm -hmm. your story Mm -hmm. that when i work uh, in my clinical practice, the first 10 to 15 minutes was spent revisiting some of the pain, mm-hmm. and the next 45 minutes was spent finding the power in the pain. Okay. And so I really believe in post-traumatic growth. Mm. And not to deny that not everybody can get to that level, that there's certainly, like, ma- there's certain depressions that are treatment-resistant even to medication, but everybody in this population, 100% of the population, mm-hmm. will benefit from positive psychology. And when I have, since day one, since a young age, I wanted to reach as many people as I could because I always felt like I knew what it was like to, to have joy, no matter what. You know, I'm sure you're much like that, too, skipping around. And and, and it was funny because it wasn't until university when people started talking about their stories. And even to me, when it wasn't even a mental health story, and I thought, you know, like, and they started asking me what my problems were. Mm-hmm. But I was raised right. that when I fell down, mm-hmm. my parents would keep walking. Right. right. <laughs> and when I would complain, mm-hmm. they would walk faster. Yeah. Because there's a difference between a chronic problem and an acute problem. They've always had a belief that I could handle it. All f- their four kids in our family, mm-hmm. that we could handle it. Mm-hmm. And when we couldn't, they were there. Right. And that's what we need to internalize for ourselves and other mm-hmm. people back to your first story. So neurologically, there's research to show that you want to strengthen the neural networks mm-hmm. that go to the part of you can do it. Right. To pick yourself up. Like yeah. we both just pulled our shoulders back saying that, right? <laughs> and then the other part about uh, the brain is that I talk about my TED talk early on, the three C's in terms of the control is so the, there's three C's. Control is focus on what you have control on in life, locus of control, what you can impact. Mm-hmm. I can impact this moment right here with you. Mm-hmm. With a smile. Yes, with a smile. And I love to smile. (laughs) So do you. The other side of it is letting go. Mm -hmm. So that's why we, and you write about this all the time, Mm -hmm. breathing space. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly important for our brain. Mm -hmm. So whether it be in this moment, so often I'll start the class with breathing space. In fact, in a three-hour class, I might spend 45 minutes just leveling out with my students, they come into class panicked, I got to get them to a place of joy. Mm -hmm. Then I teach. And then in that two hours that are left, I will get more covered than in three hours because they're ready. And everything's a mirror of how they need to be with their patients. So neurologically, and uh, 
what happens when you create that breathing space, then you'll go from the panic part of your brain, which is your limbic system and the amygdala, which does not know gradients. It's either on or off, which is why if you see a text from somebody, you'll react almost the same way, parasympathetic or sympathetic-wise, brain-wise, mm-hmm. as you would if you're being cut off. Hmm. So with the breathing space... Mm-hmm which I'm creating right now, will allow your brain to go from the basement up to the penthouse, which is your cerebral cortex, which is unique to us as humans. Mm-hmm. And then you can have be in this logic place, which usually is the next day, and you look back and you wonder why you overreacted. Right, right. Because at that point, you're in that cerebral cortex. Mm-hmm. And part of this, not just in terms of breathing space, we all need to have someone that we trust. When they say, Sierra... Mm-hmm. You're okay. Mm-hmm. You're okay. Yeah. You'll be fine. I'll handle this. Yep. We all have to trust them because they're coming from that cerebral cortex executive space for you. Mm-hmm. And back to being a fixer, yep. if you and rescuer, if you're always giving the same person the advice and they never take it, then back to some of my posts on Instagram, mm-hmm. you're wasting your energy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what often I found with people, because obviously I have to startle my personal life, my professional life, myself included, mm-hmm. that even in tough times in my life, my mom would say, you can move back in, Andrea, for six weeks, and then you're out of here, mm-hmm. right? And is that if we don't fall low enough, then we'll just stay in that sort of place. Mm-hmm. But back to the brain, two things. One, breathing space is everything. You have to build it into your day. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, the idea that you're not doing anybody any favor to hear their story over and over again. Right. That there's a difference between negativity and trauma. Okay. And even if the trauma was six months ago or a year ago, you're not helping them. And mm-hmm. say, okay, you also have to, both of us need to be able to speak right. up to people and say, you know, this hurts me. Because mm-hmm. it hurts us. Yep. That's why you cannot treat your family as a psychologist. I have very strict boundaries. I can never, ever treat a, a former student, right. a family member, mm-hmm. a friend, because you, you can't see straight because right. they're, they're you're too close to yeah, them. Yeah, there's so much more invested yeah. at that point. No right? breathing space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, two thoughts. One is um, you mentioned about finding someone that you trust um, that can tell you, you know, it's going to be okay. This is going to be fine. We will get through this. My question um, to that is how do we become that person for ourselves? Oh, good question. Because I think a lot of people struggle good with question. that. Good question. Good question. Is how do we? Uh, what I have, what I have personally. Okay. Yeah. Good question. This is where the writing and all that comes in. Mm-hmm. I have, um, I trust the universe box, so that and and this comes for me. I'm a type A personality. <laughs> uh, I'm a doer. I am. I'd rather do it myself. Shocker. So me too. Right. Sagittarius in the room <laughs> and the control. So my challenge is not is letting go. Yeah. So whenever I want to just jump in mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten, like that's how my fear takes over. You can relate. Yep. And if you you can make make it worse, right? Mm-hmm. So what I have is I call it my God box. You can call it whatever you want. So if I have something I'm going to jump in about, I'm, I'm going to make a call or maybe I'm feeling if you're having a low day, you're feeling insecure about what your boss said or maybe your boyfriend or whoever, I will write it on a piece of paper and say that I trust this will all work out and write it just little, even just a word mm-hmm. and put it in the God box and never and trust and say, I won't look at it again. Three months later, mm-hmm. you just happen, you got to 
pull it up. There are 10 things in there. Every single thing took care of itself. Mm-hmm. And I also have that on my work email. And so it, it just says, trust God. And if I have something that's triggering me in some way, mm-hmm. because you don't want to be a codependent, go to that trust person all the time, right? Mm-hmm. As you say, great point to yourself, I will just file it in there. Right. Maybe whatever it is, I will almost say 10 times out of 10, mm-hmm. it takes care of itself. Right, right, naturally. So so that that's one of the ways that I, how do you? How do I? Ooh, that's a long, that's a loaded question. I think, um, the trust in myself has come over time. It's come over several years of being in a space where I was like, I need someone else. I need a boyfriend. I for, and this is not to be a sappy story by any stretch. For a long time, I was the single friend. All of my group core circle were dating each other. So I was always a friend that even if you didn't realize it, you walk into a room and everyone's a couple and you're not, it's just there. So I think for a lot of my younger life, like my, um, my, um, early twenties was focused on, I need to have a boyfriend. I need to have someone else. And once that happens, that will fix me. By the way, that's developmental stage too. <laughs> Everything we're talking about is so development. It's got Eric, it's Erickson okay. and it's, and it's intimacy versus isolation. And it starts when you're 19, 20. Well, there you go. And so <laughs> you fight, you fighting that as yeah. you talk about trusting yourself yeah. is you're actually fighting biology. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. So, <laughs> and that I'm, and the reason I say this is, Part of that is not beating yourself up. Mm -hmm. That's like double whammy. Right. Okay, so continue the story. So you get, and I think a lot of young people in general in that developmental stage go through that same process. Um, And I, it, with several years of work and practice and training my brain to be like, you have this, you have to become your own person. Um, When I allowed myself to heal, I got to a certain point um, and my friends can vouch for this, where I said, you know what, maybe I'm not meant for a relationship. Mm -hmm. Maybe my purpose is to serve other people. And that's what I'm supposed to be here for. (laughs) Uh, The year that I was, I was, I finally hit that healing point. It was still another year of like, you're still searching, you you know, that there's always that question mark. Um, But I I do remember specifically getting to a point where I was like, I I just think maybe my purpose is something else. And if it is, that's okay. Well, you learned the lesson. Yep. The lesson was to be okay. Yep. (laughs) I love sitting across from a psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So that was my process. And and in doing so, I have been able to... Acceptance. Acceptance Acceptance is a really big part of your trust yourself. For sure. For sure. And that has helped me be a better person in all of my relationships Mm -hmm. and not resent someone Mm -hmm. or be bitter towards someone. Once you you trust yourself, you can give that trust to other people and 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 it kind of... This is Sierra walking the talk of (laughs) Lemon Soul. Right here, right now. Okay, I want to. I, so I went over just some of your Instagram because you post a lot of wonderful, beautiful things um, online. Notes to self. <laughs> Notes to self, and it's funny because we. Um, it's something I've done for years, even prior to Lemon Soul. Is to be honest, at the end of the night, I go on Pinterest, and I would look for quotes. And you can see, ironically, that we're having this conversation when I was in that 1920-year phase. You can scroll through, like, my history of the quotes that I was posting, and they were sad. They were lonely. They were angry at the world. And you can see the transition of where how, how I brought like a diary. here. It is. Yeah. And I love quotes. I love reading them. I think it gives us connection. I love yours, too. Yes. So I just wanted to go through one or two and kind of um, some that I found on your page and then kind of just give a little more in-depth background. 
So the one I think we should start with that you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast is claim your prize. What does that mean? Claim your prize. Everything that we could ever want is within reach. This is a perfect example sitting right here with Sierra. And that we often look so far into the future or get so anchored Mm -hmm. in the past. And neither the future or the past are real. Only thing real is right now. I love that. And I had a student. I love my students. And I was bringing a prize to class. had a prize. Wanted to motivate them. And I was passing it around so so they could check it out. And it was a cover for a phone. And one of them put it on her phone, but she couldn't get it off. And I stood there and I said, oh, my God, you are claiming your prize. I'm going to do a video about this tonight. And I'd heard through the grapevine that Sierra from Lemon Soul Podcast, Mm -hmm. it was Rami, one of my students in that class, who wanted to interview me. Mm -hmm. And then Tina Wrigley from uh, We Television Series also wanted to interview me. Hi, Tina. It's coming up. And so I contacted you, and I... And it fit, and thank you for having me. And it fulfills because I think we have to think about our intentions, right? Yep. That that in terms of acceptance in your early twenties, is that we have this back to the lie, right? The lie of online, all of that. Like, who feeds us the story about how it's going to be? And mm-hmm. for me, I, I wanted to help people. I wanted to ease their suffering. I wanted to show them another way. And initially, I thought it was through one on one, but I found that for me, I'm more of a audience person Mm -hmm. and who knew that what was sitting right in front of me because I've been on CBC I've been Toronto I've I've traveled across Canada speaking and I really hadn't given enough attention to Windsor (laughs) and 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 it really started with TEDx and then Mm -hmm. TEDx led to the drive and then through the connection back to Sierra and my back to the full circle claim whoever's listening look up and really really look around you because now, first of all, look in whatever mirror is close by because you're the prize. <laughs> and claim the prize that's within arm's reach because my intention, as I shared, is to share a message of hope. Mm-hmm. And Sierra is helping me do that. Thank you. And it's my prize is right here. Yep. So claim your prize. Well, thank you for being here. Obviously, it is a tremendous honor to sit, be able to sit and have this conversation with you. It's one thing to converse over social media and have internet friends, but there's something so tremendously... There should be cameras like Joe Rogan right now. <laughs> if I was Joe Rogan... <laughs> yeah, there'd be there more than be, just... There there'd be, be more than cameras. <laughs> well, that's your future. Yeah, here, okay. maybe I'll... Sorry, I got distracted. Right? <laughs> <laughs> one day, I love Joe Rogan. Yeah, that's a whole, other, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, it is. It's, it's wonderful to be able to come and have a long-form conversation with yourself with several other people yes. and and then i've had the opportunity to be to present to. Yes. exactly yes yes i'm yes. deep in the house yes he was so wonderful <laughs> i cannot wait to, oh i cannot wait to get his yeah. episode out we had such a deep conversation it was so genuine it was so wonderful. another tedxer yeah yeah yes exactly yeah. i just watched his before his um for his podcast all right we'll do one more another quote that i found online um of yours it says, become more aware of what's really worth your energy. What is really worth our energy? Whatever echoes back. So there'll always be people in need, mm-hmm. especially if you're a giver, speaking to a giver. Help them once, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. But if you let yourself fall into that, and I speak from experience, mm-hmm. 
because even if you do know the answers, it doesn't right. mean that someone wants to hear it. Right. So when I say the echo, you want to make sure that what energy you have, if we're all born with 100 units to use every single day and we only get 100 units, mm -hmm. that we really want to be conscious of our energy and that we don't want to go to bed in deficit because that's how health problems happen. So that if you find that that one person who is always not in a disrespectful way, not worth yeah. your time, yeah. because you have 10 other people that need you right. that have never met you, mm -hmm. that it takes courage, it takes boundaries, yep. it takes willing to be not liked, mm -hmm. willing to be potentially talked about, yeah. willing to be potentially misaligned. But your purpose and your vision, Sierra, and your audience, Lemon Soul audience, is so much bigger than what drains you. Mm -hmm. That whatever echoes back and fills you up so that some days you go to bed with a thousand units of energy because people will always say, where does your energy come from? Mm -hmm. It comes from the person right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And it comes from a deep, deep, deep appreciation of life. Yeah. And that comes from failure. Before we go into the sour yeah. seat, yeah. um, in this conversation, something that has kept coming up in my head is a question to ask is, for the person that's listening to this, sitting at home, um, whether they've rolled their eyes at something we've said or is having a hard time, maybe it's just having a hard time in general, and you can say a thousand things and give a thousand pieces of advice, what can they do today? What is something they can do after listening to this podcast to start them on a better track? First of all, make that decision that you are worth feeling good, that you're worth walking away from whatever brings you down, and that roll those eyeballs. Be upset or not in tune with what we're saying right now. But that doesn't matter. It's not about me and it's not about Sierra. It's about you. Be willing to make the decision that your life is worth feeling good. And once you made that decision, set your alarm clock for some coffee talk, just you, a cup of coffee, some incense, maybe a little Netflix to look forward to. After that, put on some really good music in your car on your way to work. And then moment by moment, make the decision, that's just a couple of them, mm -hmm. that you are worth the good life. And it's not about money. It's not about your neighbor. It's about that you get one life and you were born for a reason. And we need you. And we need you to feel good about your life. Because Sierra and I need you to feel good too. Yeah. And, you know, embrace the, embrace the bad stuff all, all the yep. time. That's why I kickbox. That's why I run. That's why I say the swear words like a truck driver yep. because that is F therapy is a thing. <laughs> but don't spend 60 minutes out of every hour in that place. Spend five minutes and set a timer on your phone. Five minutes out of every hour, you're going to be mad. You're going to be upset. You're going to be angry. You can't believe what this world did to you. And the other 55 minutes, you're going to put some tunes on. You're going to put a little Calvin Harris and you're going to dance to Giant. <laughs> I love it. And that's so important too. And something that we talk about is it's it's easy to say, just be positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Move. we don't talk enough about yeah. It's okay yeah. to be angry, to be embarrassed, to be ashamed. Yes. That's okay too. It's, and what that, it's universal. Yes. Every single person on this earth is having the human experience. Yeah. It's just that we're having it at different times. Yep. 
the number one way that we can relate to each other is even if Sierra were an introvert and I were an extrovert, there are times that I'm an introvert. So when I talk to her, when I connect to her, I think of the introvert in me. So we're all the same. We're just different gradients of the same. We're Hey, wait till the aliens come. You'll realize how <laughs> yeah. they could already be here. That were, different podcasts that we're already that we are a lot alike. We're more alike than different. Awesome, awesome. Let's do the sour seat. I'm okay. just gonna rattle off a yeah, couple yeah, quick yeah, questions. Yeah, go for and it. Just give me what is your favorite quote? Oh yeah, my favorite quote. Yeah. Anything related to Abraham Maslow? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, with which most people know about it. Okay. But I look at it from a very different perspective, in the sense that it, I can assess whoever I'm with, where they're at in it. So, for example, if you're in school mm-hmm. and you're you're not motivated, most likely school is up at the self-esteem, which is almost near the top. Mm-hmm. That you're not, you could be near the bottom. You need food. You need to sleep. Any of those things. But this really harks back to what Sierra and I. Have been talking about since day one this quote is that happiness is a choice and though your level of happiness might be different from mine because we're all born with different different genetics what I want to talk about with you is what my cross-country coach talked about in high school it's about personal best so to, so this is Abraham Maslow's quote is that to make the growth choice instead of the fear choice a dozen times a day is to move a dozen times a day towards self-actualization. That some days I have to make that growth choice a hundred times in one hour, and other times it's one time in the course of the day. But we're all making the choice to reach for the best in us. That's wonderful. I've never heard that quote. That's awesome. I really I'll leave it that. with you. Yeah, I'll leave it up on the wall. That's another <laughs> one, too. It's along the same lines. Here. My printer's running out of ink. So no, I don't we'll know. hang them. I'll put them right up here in the Limitsville studio. I, I think, yes. I think the mistake we make is thinking that anybody has it off better better off than we do. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is looking at what's on the outside. Right. So people would assume that yourself, myself, when I post pictures of me dancing in the car, it's homework that I assigned for my clinical psych chapter. Laughter therapy is a thing. They, when you see somebody happy, that that doesn't mean they don't struggle. Right. And that the, the, the quiet... The, the quiet person who doesn't speak up, that doesn't mean they don't struggle. Mm-hmm. That we all have struggles. Mm-hmm. Some of us have been socialized to present the struggle face first, mm-hmm. and others have been socialized family-wise, gender-wise, culture-wise, to have the happy face first. And and this is why I think it's such a challenge when we see all these famous people committing suicide that we would never think twice that a famous person looked happy and had cancer, but that someone like Robin Williams, he was such a great comedian. You can be all things. You can have a mental health disorder and be happy. So, and unfortunately, other things happen. So the people listening out there too that, and I feel for you immensely if you have somebody that close to you that had committed suicide and you're beating yourself up because you didn't see it. Maybe on that day you saw that happy side. And that's the truth. And that's why I say it's okay to not be okay. Because sometimes you're okay, sometimes you're not. And that's life. Yeah. It's part of being human. Right. I think one thing you had said to me online is um, we're all, you're a human being. Yeah. So sometimes we're too human. That's why we beat ourselves up. And you need to be and you need to dance. And to dance. 
dancing solves most problems, <laughs> especially when it's a dance party for one. That's why my hip hop class, I'm telling you, I take the, that class on Wednesday. <laughs> I love I, it. Love the videos. There is no place I leave happier yes. af- than after that class. I tell you, I whoever, I, and I call Dylan on the way home, and I'm like, I'm like happiness level a thousand. This is the best day ever. And I'm just like, high see, on and, it, and in that course of the day, and this yep. is the other thing, as you, if you look on my website for thriving under pressure, in terms of my specialties, one is embracing negative emotions. So in that day, you could have had ten negative emotions, but fifty positive ones. Yep, exactly. and that was positive one. You know, took care of all those negative ones. Took it right out. So that's why it's so important, and this is my work in the classroom, is that I don't see victims. I don't care who you are. I do not see a victim. I see somebody who's not been taught mm-hmm. how to pick themselves up. Someone who's not been taught how to be strong, and that has only been given half, like often, only attention. You see those kids where the, when they fall down, their parents go rushing in. Mm-hmm. Well, they're being socialized for attention that way, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a society that's socializing for that. We also need to socialize for resilience, which is, it's not bad that you fell down. It's yeah, good. It's like, and then you like. Dancing. Not even dancing. It's fine. There's yeah. been oftentimes where the right before class, I'm like, I don't really want to go. I know. I'm tired. To- I'm grumpy. Yes. And motivation comes from the world word mover, which means to move. So motivation doesn't happen before. It happens during. Ooh, so like that's that. another thing, right? That's and cool. So in terms of therapy, the best therapy of all, and my mm-hmm. favorite way to give therapy when I did have my practice was walking and talking. Yeah. With young boys, we play basketball. Or Monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. It movements everything. Movement. That's back to the brain. Love it. Love it. Are you a Nighthawk or an oh. early riser? I used to be a Nighthawk. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I'm an early riser, but of course there's a story to just about everything. Uh, probably about my second or third year teaching at the college, I stopped using the alarm clock. And I would just wake up at 536 o'clock. Mm-hmm. That's called finding your calling. <laughs> I didn't even know it was my calling. I resisted it. Yep. You know? Of course. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, I'm, I we, I can't wait to get up. If I wake up during the night, I'm like, shit, it's not 6 a.m. yet? <laughs> you have to do more sleep? <laughs> I just want to get up. So, yes. Yeah, so I really. I, so, that means I'm going to bed like 9, 30, 10 or whatever, right? I'm on that same page. <laughs> yes. I'm like, my roommates, I'm like, I get home. I'm like, okay, good night. They're like, it's 8 o'clock. I'm like, I know. I have to get into bed and do my routine, though. I love like, it. I yeah, good for you. Off. That's good. <laughs> That's so I awesome. totally understand. Amazing. You get, and they say you get your best sleep before midnight. So there you go. Well, yeah. then I'm doing something right. You are doing everything right. No, nope, no try. You are. <laughs> All right. What is your top health tip? Move. 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 I would say, yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. When we were kids, we did fun runs. Mm-hmm. My parents are early 80s. They run, they bike, they walk. Every, Research does show that endorphins are the equivalent of an antidepressant. So for sure, there's no – I shake 99% of my problems off me from movement. So whether it be running, biking, kickboxing, uh, golf, soccer, whatever. Whatever your thing is. Yeah, everything. Yep, awesome. And and just get back to the Mover. Just get your shoes on out the door. I never want to go. Yep. Like you say that I never want to go, mm-hmm. but I always, and I also say this to my students in terms of exams, don't think about the exam. Think about when you're going to get the A after or think when you get the B after. So I always imagine myself how I feel like after my shower and I'm all, we call it, my husband always say, well, you feel gooey from like that feeling. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like I'm a better wife. I'm a better, when I, when I show up in the classroom, like I just burst in there and it's because of all this, yeah. I know my job, my responsibility is my students and everything I do all day is with my students in mind, 100%. Awesome. And exercise is one of them. There you go. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up. Yeah. We're all done. <laughs> but I want you to just tell people what is next for you. Where can oh. people find you? Because I know people are going to want to connect. Oh, thank you. If they Google Dr. Andrea Donardo or even Dr. Andrea, because someone said I should redo my blog and just have it be Dr. Andrea. So DrAndreaDonardo.com, Thriving Under Pressure. I have now uh, uh, my YouTube channel. I probably have about 50 videos up there now. And then I have now The Drive magazine, and I have some speaking engagements coming up that I'll have posted. So you can always find me on Instagram, Dr. A. Donardo. I also have Twitter, Dr. A. Donardo. But thank God through the universe, I somehow locked myself out of it. So it's just there. I can only handle one Instagram, one social media account. I'm an all-in kind of girl. So yes, you can always find me on Instagram or on my website, which is Thriving Under Pressure. And I encourage you to watch my TED Talk. So it's up to pushing 5,500, 6,000 hits. So, yeah. so I appreciate that. Let's get some more. And on Lemon Soul Podcast. <laughs> of course you can find it on Lemon Soul Podcast. Eventually Joe Rogan. <laughs> Eventually Joe Rogan. One day. You'll yeah. be a sidekick. There we go. We'll go together. Yes, absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Awesome. He'd be lucky to get us. Yeah, he would. All right. Thank you so much for <laughs> Thank coming. You. I'm so excited. I feel like oh I'm fangirling just God. having you here. Right back, so at, right, right back at you. We did it. I am without words. I have never felt someone more present in my space um, ever. (laughs) I hope you guys take home her messages and follow her online because her energy is contagious and genuine. I hope it sits with you well. I am going to go home and take a long bath and just feel out all of these emotions that I am experiencing. Until next time.